Anita, how's your mental health? <laughs> Questionable <laughs> at all times. You know this. Yeah. How's the mental health of your children? Um, also a little bit tricky. Can I tell you my experience in trying to find therapists for myself and my kids, Mel? Yes, please. Okay. This is how it goes. You ask around your friends and your family for a referral for somebody who's nearby. You finally find somebody who sounds like they might work for your family. You give them a call and you find out that A, they're not accepting new patients or B, they have a huge wait list. So you start over again and you ask people if they know anybody who would be a good therapist and a good fit. Finally, you find one, you go and you meet with them and you figure out that you don't actually like them that much. But it's been so much work to find somebody who you can go to in your area that you're kind of stuck with them. Well, do you have any ideas for how to get around this? Um, I do, because guess what? I've actually had some therapists that I have found on my own, which involves what you're saying. Sometimes I remember one time I was like three hours in the bathtub on my phone looking through yeah. websites. I was such a prune at the end. But I have also had the experience with working with BetterHelp and it was like, I, I don't want to say too good to be true, but because it is true, but it's like amazing because I was matched with my therapist within 24 hours. And you didn't have to go through all of that other ridiculous process of trying to find somebody. And here's the cool thing too, is if that person didn't work out for you, you can just switch and say, and it's not like you're committing to another years long search for somebody who you're going to jive with. It's true. And I lucked out or maybe just BetterHelp is really good at matching people together because I never had to change my therapist. I loved her. Perfect fit for me. And I know that some of our friends have used BetterHelp and they've had to change therapists and boom, same day can change. Easy peasy. You can ghost your therapist. <laughs> Get a new one. I love this idea. BetterHelp is one of our sponsors. If you use our promo code, trybetterhelp.com slash WWDN, you get 10% off your first month and we totally recommend it. Yes. Get some therapy. That's <laughs> trybetterhelp.com slash WWDN. All right, Mel. Time to chat. All right. What do you want to chat about, Anita? So a lot of the widow shows that we do or these small episodes that we do are based on discussions that are happening in the Widow Wives Club. So if you're not a part of our Widow Wives Club and you're somebody who's had partner loss, you should hop on in there because we have great discussions in there. Um, somebody recently brought something up that she thought she was completely alone in and found out really quickly that in fact she is not alone in this feeling and we have talked about this on the podcast before um pretty head-on pretty directly but we thought it would be good to talk about it in this context and the term for this is passive suicidality and um i think a lot of people don't even know that term i didn't know that term until you brought it up but do you want to explain what that means? Yes. Passive suicidality is not the same as being actively suicidal and looking for ways to end your life. Passive suicidality is being in a state where you would welcome death if it came to you. So if you wanted to, if you're crossing the street, you would maybe not get out of the way if a bus was just coming right at you. 
but you would not cross the street with the intention of getting killed. That's kind of dire, but I mean, anybody that's listening to this probably knows a bit of what we mean. It's very, 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 very common for people who have sustained loss, traumatic loss, significant loss. It doesn't have to just be partner loss. Those that have experienced loss of a child or devastating circumstances, same sorts of things. Um, there is this sense, I think it's more, it's stronger in the beginning of loss where there's just this feeling of what is the point of being here? I just want to be with my person. And like you said, most people aren't actively looking for a way to join their spouse in death, but they kind of wish that something outside of their control would come and just take them so that they could be away from the pain that they're feeling and um, to be with the person and to um, not feel those feelings of devastation. So we hear that a lot from people. I just wish, you know, I wouldn't be sad if I got diagnosed with cancer right now, or if I got hit by a bus or whatever um, those things are. And I think there's a lot of shame around those feelings. Yeah. I mean, I was watching a documentary last night about a cult. This is kind of, this seems like it's going off topic, but it's not. And it was a girl who was severely, severely abused for many, many years, starting at eight years old. And she said, I would just lie down and wait and pray to die. Like how much longer can I take this? You know, and, and as a child, you, you don't have the skills or the, the circumstances to maybe escape. And so you feel helpless. And I think a lot of times where we are with this particular thing, uh, we're talking about loss, death. This did not come to us on our own accord. Like there was nothing that we did hopefully to cause our person's death, unless we're a murderer and we are in prison, but it's this big thing that we didn't want. We didn't ask for, it just happened. And now we're like, well, now what I, there must be no more reason to live now. I am not sure if there are statistics on this between widowed moms and childless widows, but just in casual conversations or in our group, we find that it's even more common with childless widows. We don't have things to quote live for. And, and that's where it gets interesting with the, the moms versus the childless widow discussions, because it's, it's like totally different stressors. Like if you're a mom and you're wishing that you didn't have kids, welcome to the isolation of having nothing around you. And then if you're a childless widow that just is like, I wish I had a piece of my person or I wish I had something to get out of bed for, the moms are like, you have no idea what it's like. And so we are in different boats. And so we never want to compare those like we are the same. But I do see that as a childless widow myself, it's time. There are times, even recently, I'm three and a half years out where I'm like, I don't have anything to live for. Like I live for helping the widows. I live for my dogs and that's it right now. Now I know better than to say, I know how my life's going to play out. I've been through a lot of stuff. I know that things take time. You have to put effort in. I know that you have to kind of grow and like intentionally choose 
paths for healing. So I'm not saying like, yeah, my life's always going to be like this, but I am in that period of time right now at times it's hard. The isolation is real. I was going to say something similar, even in our conversations together, you'll say things like, you know, if I got cancer, I would just let them like, I wouldn't treat it. And I am like, oh no, I have to be here for my kids because I put myself in their shoes. They've already suffered one loss. They can't suffer another loss like that. And for the kidless widows, you don't have that same need to stay here for somebody. And so I feel like you're right. Like there probably is a higher degree of that sense of what's, what is this all for? Like, there's no purpose in me being here when you don't have the kids to tie you to this, to this life and to this world, because I still find myself feeling very worried and nervous about me dying. But I will say that in the beginning, I was absolutely ready to, (laughs) this is, this is terrible, but this is real. I was like, how can, I'm going to take all my kids with me and we're all going to go together. We're going to go drive off a cliff so we can be with, we can be together as a family again, which doesn't make any sense, you know, and thank goodness that that was not something that I really was considering. But I mean, it felt like a, it felt like a really, a really good option at the time, but it's different for me now than it was then, um, right in the aftermath. I can see that. It, it makes me think of you had high suffering or high pain and low purpose. Yeah. Even though you do have the purpose of caring for your kids, but it was so new and changed so much, you know? Yeah, it's totally understandable. Um, and I can see how too, even if you do have kids, like there's such pressure anyway, even if you're not a widowed parent, there's such a pressure on parents to do things perfectly or everyone well yeah when you're in when you're an adult you're gonna always blame your parents for things you know there's a lot of pressure on parents and so now you add being um sustaining partner loss on top of that and and for a lot of our widows that have kids the the dad of the children is the one that is gone or the mom of the children the biological parent so yeah a lot of complex issues so how have you dealt with it anita at least in the beginning Um, in the beginning, it was just talking to people and, um, there's this really powerful concept. So do you, have you seen the movie Jojo rabbit? No, you've seen no movies. Well, I know that houndstooth Wendy has seen it. So in the very end of that movie, there's a quote from a poet and the, the poem says, let everything happen to you, beauty and terror, just keep going. No feeling is final. And that, um, sits so deeply inside of me that no feeling is final. And I look and I draw on that a lot. And I think to myself that whatever you're feeling right now feels like it's going to be like this forever. And it's not going to be like this forever. And it might take some time and it's going to take some work, but there is going to be purpose again. And you kind of have to just ride out this part and trust that it's going to be different at some point in time. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I've been feeling this way for a really, really long time. It's something I fight every day. And I think what I've learned so much is 
even though we have a feeling like this, it doesn't mean we have to be a slave to that feeling. And so they, their emotions. And I mean, of course there, if you're working with a therapist or a psychiatrist or psychologist, they can diagnose you with certain things and help you in the clinical aspect or therapeutic aspect. But even just like lay people like us, we, we can recognize that we feel this way and we can still live. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it doesn't often um, mean that if we take a step that we are going to feel better, it might be a long time. It might take a series of things. It might be hormonal things that we're dealing with. There's a lot of things. So I've kind of, in a way, not been trusting my feelings like I used to. And I, that might sound really detrimental, but in this case, for me, it's better because if I just woke up every day, it's like, okay, we also have anxiety and anxiety is like huge dread, right? If we wake up and we feed into the anxiety and we're like, oh, I feel this way. Therefore I should plan my day around my anxiety. You gotta, it's a, it's kind of a give and take. You gotta see what you can actually handle. But if we only pay attention to those really strong emotions and those strong feelings, then we're going to follow down that path. Um, I'm doing some current reading. I don't have statistics right now, but it's, it's about resiliency and resilient psychology. And they're finding in studies that the negative emotions are of a stronger power and pull than positive emotions. And so that's something to think of too. So easy. The, the whole old misery loves company thing. It's true. I mean, they're very strong emotions and they're easy to relate with. So it is a fight to feel positivity. And if you are, I feel like you have to make a conscious decision to try and do small little things to combat your passive suicidality. If that's something that you deal with. Yeah. And, and like we were saying before, there is power in knowing that you're not crazy that you're normal in feeling that way that it's not something that you need to hide i mean we've talked about this and i think it's really great to just be open about it because then all of a sudden it dispels that you know that like i need to hide this or something's wrong with me it's like no of course you feel that way a big part of your life is gone and you are left in the dark trying to figure out who you are what your purpose is what you know, what is going to bring you happiness and joy again. And in the very beginning, and I mean, in the very beginning, I'm not saying like days or months, I'm, you know, it's a long, it can be a long time trying to figure those things out. And of course, of course it feels insurmountable. And so you don't really want to be dealing with any of those things. And I think just feeling that those things are normal is really helpful in figuring out how you're going to deal with those things because you don't need to hide them. It's not something to be embarrassed about. Totally. Awareness is number one for being able to deal with these things. And it's important to understand that you may want to put a timeline on yourself for when you should be feeling better. And like Anita said, it's, it's not a formula. It's kind of a season of life that can have its ups and downs and it's different for everybody. And so I found that um, there was a quote that I heard and it made me laugh so much. And, And it was actually about something else dealing with grief, but it was talking about how 
we think that we need to fit in these clean little categories and, and the person related it to trying to fit into the ridiculously smallest pair of skinny jeans ever. And that made so much sense to me because we could do this with any aspect of grief, but specifically talking about passive suicidality. If you are putting the extra blame on yourself of, I should not be feeling this and I should be doing better than this. And I should be feeling better in this amount of time. That's like so many pairs of skinny jeans you're trying to fit into all at once. And it, it might not be valid for you. So we have two legs and that was like right? a three-legged skinny jean. Totally. So if it is important to have community, this is why support groups are very, very, very helpful in addition to therapy, because you find people that are in the same situation and you know that you're not alone. Suicidality really um, has an element of isolation to it. And so that's one thing that can help break the cycle. One thing that I've been doing lately, and maybe this will help somebody, I don't know, is logically looking at what I can do to upset the natural cycle of me feeling terrible and not having expectations for what the result is for that. So, okay, I feel like crap. I don't want to do anything. I want to be a recluse. I want to just like think about ways, like how I'm going to live probably the longest life ever. And I'm going to be miserable the whole time. Um, okay. First of all, recognize that it's helpful to write things out so that you can see what's in your brain. Sometimes that does enough just to get it out so you can feel better. Um, but if it doesn't, you'll, you'll be able to logically look at it and put it out here in front of you. Take a look and think, what can I do that seems like something that's doable that is an achievable goal um, and not so insurmountable that I don't do it, don't end up doing it. Um, go on a walk around the block go to the grocery store and buy a snack, like something that will just put a little jolt in your day. We've talked about this with other things in grief too, but I feel like this is just so applicable for almost everything that we're dealing with. You can take control of it, but it's a step-by-step baby step journey. What do you think? Yes. Yes to all of it, Mel. You're a genius. You're a grief genius. Put the wedge in your thoughts do something to disrupt. Um, Something else that I think is really that pours into this is that we lose our sense of self when our person dies. And I think it's more pronounced in people who don't have kids because I still have the purpose. I still have the mom, like that has stayed the same. Um, And for a lot of people, when that's disrupted, it's like, what is my purpose here? And that's something that takes time to figure out. And it takes time to grow your new you and to figure out what you're going to keep and what you're going to get rid of it. It's not something that happens overnight. And it's something that you can really culture over time. And so having expectations that you might not know for a while why you're here and it's okay to survive kind of is just a blob, not knowing what your purpose is. Mm -hmm. And that could take a long time and that's okay. That's very, very, very common and it's normal. And And it's probably part of a healthy grieving process, maybe. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. I think that, I think that when we are moving through grief, it's better if we do change and we do find new purposes and we're patient about it. So and that's hard because we want to know right in the beginning how it's going to turn out. So yeah. 
And one last thing about all of this, society has us thinking that there is a linear path to happiness in life. You're born, you go to school, you graduate high school, you go to college, you get married, you have kids, and then you live your kid life with your kids, and then you have grandkids, and then you die. And guess what? If that's your only expectation for your life following that plan, and it gets disrupted by death or by infertility or by anything else, it's hard because we've been set up this way for society too. So that's something to keep in mind too. If, if you find yourself as a young widow like us and you're in your 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, whatever it is, and you suddenly find that your list, maybe your list has been completed, but then your partner died. And so you don't have that extra part with him or her towards the end. Or maybe you're like me and you never had kids and you're like, well, I'm in my thirties now. What, you know, what if I don't want to do those things or what if I'm just trying to survive? There are elements of society that kind of set us up for those things. So be aware of those. And if, if you are placing extra blame on yourself that you are not following a quote list, just remember, there's not a list that that's kind of a narrative. It's an optional narrative. I mean, maybe you did want to have kids and like, yes, that's something that you wanted in your life and that's okay. And it gets disrupted and you're not okay. And that is normal. So I think that we should just end by saying that passive suicidality and active suicidality are two different animals. So if you are having active suicidal thoughts, that's something that you should not keep to yourself. Please, please reach out to somebody, therapist, family, friend, whoever, and and just hold on because it's it's just we don't want for you yeah yeah it's so hard we see the aftermath of suicide and it's devastating and you are needed on this planet so if you're having those thoughts that are different than this passive suicidality please please don't keep it to yourself and please reach out to somebody if you have a plan that would be considered active suicidality so please reach out There are suicide hotlines. If you're not comfortable with that, like Anita said, a friend, even just one person that you trust to tell can make a big difference. And again, that is not the same as passive suicidality. So if you find yourself in the passive suicidality group, go ahead and reach out to us in the Widow Wives Club. You can post about it. You can find comfort there and support. And we are here for you. So we wish the best of mental health on all of our friends in the whole world. And we know that we all have brains. And so that's We're not possible. sprinkling you with mental health. Yes. Yes. Tell us about all of your struggles, all of your thoughts, and make sure you join the Widow Wives Club. I'm Anita. I'm Mel. We're two young widows with brains and mental health, and we're trying to help you figure out, widow, what we do now. Somebody's knocking on my door. Okay, bye. This is my favorite thing to discuss with you. Tell me, what is it? One of my favorite things. I do enjoy tacos and cheese and dogs.
This is about how you cannot pay hundreds and hundreds of dollars for a phone plan, especially when you're a widow, your person is dead, you might have kids, you might need another option, and you just want your phone to work, you want unlimited texting and service, and you want it to be like 25 bucks a month. It blows my mind that they have plans that start at $15 a month. That is so cheap. And the cool thing is, is it uses other 5G networks. And so you don't have to pay extra for that. And you still get great service. Yep. Anita and I have traveled all over and I have used my phone. So I highly recommend it. And my mom's even on it. When my dad died, we put his phone down to the cheapest plan, which is $15 a month. And I think my mom's on the $20 a month plan and it's so worth it. It's so much cheaper than what we were all paying before. So I highly recommend it if you're on a budget or not. Who cares? Ryan Reynolds is in charge of the company and they send you free stickers with Ryan Reynolds temporary tattoos. It's kind of the best. So if somebody wants to sign up, what can they do, Anita? Go to trymintmobile.com slash WWDN. Seriously, you guys, such a great idea. Save yourself some money. And if you're worried about losing data or having any changes with your phone, not going to happen. They walk you through it. Everything's fine. It's the easiest process of all time. Again, that's trymintmobile.com slash WWDN.